I know that some of you will say, it's not Christmas yet. Go ahead, you say it. I want to tell you, I want to enjoy every minute of it, okay? I got two grandkids right now, and this is fun. This is really fun. Pajamas and all that stuff, hot chocolate. It's an enjoyable time. But even at that, it's hard to find peace at Christmas. Now, there was a time when my kids were little, when on Black Friday, why ever we named it Black Friday, I don't know, I would go out to buy certain things for those kids. Well, they're growing up now, and if they want to do that for their kids, they can. I'm not doing that. We kind of stay in. But later in the day, uh, we decided that we need to get out, and so we got out, and we went to Best Buy. Now, Best Buy was with intent. I didn't go there randomly. I went there with intent. Now, I had looked at their ad. There was nothing in their ad that Joel Adkins needed or wanted. Uh, my intention was, well, let's just put it to you this way. One day this past week, Janice came to me and said, your dog chewed up my pencil. That would been great if it was a number two lead, right? But it had to be an Apple Pencil, didn't it? Yeah. He got a hold of her Apple Pencil. And Best Buy had them on sale. We went to Best Buy so I could replace the damage that my dog had done. Now, before he did that, I had bought him two uh, orthopedic beds. Since he's gotten older and more adult, he's quit chewing everything up. But since he was recently gone through his little procedure, he seems to have picked that habit up again. So much so that this morning, as I was walking in the door here, my phone dinged, and this is what my wife sent me. Yeah. Yeah. So right now, I don't feel a lot of peace at Christmas. That little pillow was 20 bucks, and that little dog is in trouble. And if he gets the other one before I get home, we're going to have a major problem. Apple pens and pillows, I'm upset. And I want to talk to you today about finding peace <laughs> at Christmas. Listen again to that scripture. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He has set up salvation as its walls and its bulwarks. Open the gates. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith will enter in. You, and here's the peaceful part, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And then finally, trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord our God is an everlasting or an eternal rock. I want you to notice again what Isaiah said. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind, whose mind is stayed on thee. Have you ever experienced perfect peace? Now think about it. I don't want you to answer it out loud right now. In a little bit I might ask you to answer something out loud. Perfect peace, the Jewish word was shalom. It means wholeness, it means completeness. It means fullness of peace. Some of us can't experience that right now because someone that we love has been taken from us. And the holidays just turn that volume up on that emotion as high as it can be. 
Some of us can't find perfect peace because of something that happened long ago, perhaps. Maybe a childhood memory. Maybe something that makes your Christmas not as happy and joyful as others, and certainly not as peaceful. Maybe you don't sense that wholeness or that completeness of God's peace because it's not full yet. In other words, you know a little bit of what it looks like. You've experienced some of what it looks like, but you haven't figured out where you can get all of it at. When Isaiah said, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind stayed on me, he meant peace with God, perfect relationship with God, peace with others. Now, earlier today when, I think it was Alice said, what do you think? I said, what are you thankful for? Somebody said, praise the Lord. Did you say family? And I'm sorry, I'm such a, uh, I'm so sarcastic into my, that devil that sits on my shoulder. I'm sorry if I have to tell you that, but he's there. And, and, and when you said family, I said some of them. Right? <laughs> Alice said that's true. <laughs> some of them. That's so bad. But, but perfect peace with God and with those around us that we love. That we love but can sometimes just rub us the wrong way. How about peace with yourself? Isn't, isn't trying to be whole with yourself sometimes difficult? I, I, I used to tell churches, you don't get to see it anymore, but you know, years ago when my kids were little, you know, we'd go into a church, I was so much younger and I loved it, they would say, you're too young to be my pastor, you're young enough to be my son or whatever. Now they don't say that anymore. But back when the kids were little, you know, they said that. And we'd go into a church, you know, we'd walk in there and lo and behold, everybody would say, oh, the perfect little family. And all of my kids and my wife would say they don't know him. And what that does to me is this, because I know me better than anybody but God. Somebody says, boy, you look like you got it happening right. Oh, mercy, I know what a mess I am. You see what I'm saying? And so you, it's hard to live up to that. You can't. Maybe your circumstances are such that you can't be whole this year. Maybe you haven't been whole for years. Maybe, maybe the circumstances of your life You've lost your job, you're looking for a job, you can't find a job. Someone you love is facing medical problems. So the question is for Isaiah to say, you'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Where does that perfect peace come from? And by the way, in Isaiah 26.3, the word peace is there twice. So it's shalom, shalom. You will keep him in shalom, shalom whose mind is stayed on thee. And what that means is a double portion. What it really means is that the writer is saying you're going to have double portion of peace, of wholeness, and all those relationships and everything in your life when your mind is stayed on God. And you know why God said that? Because God knew you were going to need it. That's exactly why. He knew that we were going to need it. Peace doesn't mean there'll be no problems. Peace doesn't mean we'll have no issues. Peace doesn't mean that everything will be pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. There's bad news and there's good news concerning peace. I'll give you the bad news first. Problems don't take a sabbatical. But here's the good news. Jesus doesn't either. Did you hear that? Jesus doesn't either. 
we're coming into Christmas and we ask ourselves, why do we talk about peace so much? Do you remember those angels? Those angels came to those shepherds and in Luke 2.14 they said this, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is well pleased. And you know what was really said there. You know that the angels came to tell the shepherds that unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. So the very next thing that happens after the angels sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards everybody, the shepherds the Bible says, head out to Bethlehem to see what had happened. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself, what was that trip like? Have you ever asked yourself what they found? We don't know what the journey was like, but we knew, though, it would have been crowded on the way because everybody was going down. But we do know what it was like when they got there. What was it that these shepherds found? I mean, the word was a Savior. Glory to God. A Savior's born, the one that you've been looking for. And so they head out and they take this journey and they get to where the child is. And they find this poor couple near penniless in the worst conditions that you could ever imagine with a child. It's not the way I would have set that story up. Did you ever think about Jesus when he spoke to his disciples and he said to them these words, which you'll recognize, peace be with you? He always said that. In John 20, it says, on the evening, the first day of the week, the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and said to them, peace be to you. Did you hear what he said it? When they had their doors locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus said, peace be with you. Have you ever been afraid? Have you ever been afraid? Jesus says, peace to you. Jesus said to him a little bit later on in that passage, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. I want you to think about that for a minute. I'm sending you you know, in our society today, we don't want to meet anybody. You know why so many people are saying that they're worshiping online? It's just a continuation of what we've done for the last 30 years. We've isolated ourselves. We used to neighbor. We used to get together. We used to be with each other. We've just cocooned ourselves as far in as technology will allow us to do it. And Jesus comes along and Jesus says, peace be with you as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Get out of the cocoon. That's frightening. You mean, Jesus, that you want us to get out of our boats and take up our cross and follow you to wherever you lead us? Yeah, you go and whatever city you come into, you tell them about me. That's frightening. Because I know it is because it's frightening for me. And it's frightening for you. And when does Jesus say peace? When we're afraid. It says in John 20, a little later, his disciples were in the house and Thomas was with them. And the doors were locked again. And Jesus came and said to them, peace be with you. Jesus says, peace be with you, but we have hold ourselves up and locked the doors because we are so afraid of what life's going to dump on us next. Another thing Jesus often said was, go in peace. Go in peace. There was a lady 
in the book of Mark, also in the book of Luke, but in Mark's where I'm reading from. And you'll recall that she had an issue with blood for 12 years. And as Jesus is walking through the town, this lady comes up from behind where he can't see, and she reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. Jesus stops the crowd and he says, something went out of me. There's something going on here. And when he finds this woman, he says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Go in peace when you're sick. You remember in Luke, when the disciples went into that house, and this woman comes along who we discreetly say was a sinner. Was a sinner. And she brings that box of ointment with her and she gets down and dirty with Jesus' feet. Reads like this in Luke 7. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him and he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at his table. And a woman of the city who was a sinner You know, I, I can hear that from my childhood. Can you hear that? I can hear it. Because what we would have said then was this. Well, you know that woman from the East End. That's where I grew up, <laughs> by the way. But that's what we would have said, you know, that woman from the East End. You know, not, can any good thing come out of East End? That's what they said about Jesus. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth, right? I mean, you would have said in my hometown, <laughs> East End. I mean, that's not as bad as it can get, but it's one step from it. So this woman with this alabaster box of ointment shows up, and it says she's a woman of the city. Right there, you're told something. But then they fill in the blank for you, who was a sinner. When she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet. Now, you may not figure that out. It's not that Jesus was standing here eating, and she's down here on the floor. No, they laid down to eat. You think you stuffed it in at Thanksgiving? I want to tell you what. These folks, when they saw a meal, they went for it. Okay, we lay down, stretch out that gut, and fill it up. And there's Jesus with the 12 lying at this table and shoveling it in. And this woman comes into the room with a box, and she gets down to his feet and begins to wash and anoint Jesus' feet. And I love this next line. She wetted his feet with her tears. She wiped them with the hair of her head. She kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, here's the line I love, he said to himself, it's kind of like when I said, Alice said, what are you thankful for, you know, family? And I said, some of them. (laughs) It's that kind of thing. Here's this woman washing his feet, rubbing the ointment on his feet and all this. And here's the guy who invited him to the house, to his own house. And you know what he said in his mind? Well, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him. She is a sinner. Did you hear all that? I mean, that's disgusting. Uh, Number one, Jesus can't be a prophet because he'd know who she was, but do you know who she is? You know what kind of a person she is? Do you know she's touching you? This, this gentleman who was, you know, you ever heard this from James? A double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. This guy's so double-minded, I can't stand it. 
I'm going to be your friend. I'm going to invite you to dinner. You come to my house, we'll have dinner. And then I'm going to pull out my judgment stick and watch it and measure you up. You can't be a prophet. <laughs> You'd have known what she is. You'd know what kind of a person she is, where she's from, who she's been with. She's touching you. She's a sinner. And after all that dialogue, when, when everybody's discussing, you know, Jesus says, you know, I came to your house and this woman, she washed my feet, she kissed my feet, she wiped them with her tears and she anointed them with her alabaster box of ointment. And you haven't done anything since I got here, but I will tell you this, what I'm going to say to her is what really matters. Your faith has saved you. Listen, go in peace. Most of you in this room have never had to live in the east end of Bethlehem, the east end of Jerusalem, the east end of Nazareth. Most of us in this room have never grown up in the environment that this woman apparently did. Do you know what that does to people? <laughs> she didn't know peace. She knew chaos. She knew chaos. Jesus says to her, you're forgiven. You go in peace. Don't you love it that Paul, when he writes his letters, either begins them or ends them with this little phrase, the God of all grace and peace be with you. He does that a lot. The God of all peace be with you. So how does that happen? How do you find that perfect peace? that Isaiah was writing about. You ever heard this phrase? I know you have, a penny for your thoughts. That's what matters because what Isaiah said was this, he'll keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. So what have you been thinking about? Is your mind fixed on Jesus? What's your mind fixed on right now? CNN? Fox News? The coronavirus, the word fixed means stayed. It means to lean completely into, to rest oneself on. You will find that shalom, shalom, that double blessing of God's peace, when your mind completely and 100% leans on God and rests on his promises. Right now, what are you thinking of? Has your mind drifted from here to dinner? Has your mind drifted from here to something you got to buy for Christmas? Has your mind drifted from here to something that you wish would be but can't be? Are you distracted? Fixed means fixed. Fixed means fixed on Jesus, leaning on him. I'll tell you what Paul said in Philippians 4, and I'm coming near to the end of the message, so this, this part's really important. I'm going to read... Philippians 4, 8, and 9, then I'm going to take you back to 6 and 7. Did you get that? I'm going to read 8 and 9, and then I'm going to take you back to 6 and 7. That's setting up a mystery, because you don't know what 6 and 7 says. Right now, Phil's turning to it, so he'll know the mystery. But here, 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice this, and the God of peace will be with you. Did you hear that? See, because Jesus is all those things. He's true, he's honorable, he's good. When you are in trouble, he will be your compass. When you're lost, he will come and find you. When you think on Jesus, you can lean into him. Without Jesus, you will never find peace. Peace will never make sense at all until you know him. God is good. His word is true. He never leaves. He promises to not forsake. He finds us when we're lost. He guides us when we're lost. He comforts us when we're hurt. He heals us when he's sick. And he's promised to never leave nor forsake us. Paul says if you think about who Jesus is, you'll find that peace. Now, you all know that before this sermon's over, I had to take you to Jesus' words in John 14. And I'm going to get back to Philippians 4. This is just part of the, the interjection here. Where Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not the peace that the world gives, give I unto you. Would it make a difference to you to remember that when Jesus said this in John 14, the next day he would go on trial and be beat and be stoned and be derobed and be hung upon a cross and die? Think about that for a minute. I mean, most of us, if something like that's going to happen, it, it's going to hit us out of nowhere. This was God. And he knew that the next day they were going to come get him. In fact, that night, as he's praying, they're going to get him. And as he goes into the early morning hours, his entire life is going to be taken from him, literally. And he looks at those who he loved the most and he said to them, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not the peace that the world gives do I give to you, my peace I leave for you. I don't know if you've ever been inside a Sam's Club, and I know I've told you this a year or so ago, maybe back when we were still in the church, but if you go to Sam's Club, they sell this stuff in bulk, right? Big stuff, right? Well, I buy the big box of goldfish. That's for Emma. Emma loves goldfish. And on Thanksgiving Day, Emma said, I thought she was going to say Papa. Her dad says, Emma, Emma's got to tell you something. Oh, she's going to say my name. She says, goldfish. Emma was saying, the stash is empty. I said, what? She said, goldfish. I said, Nate says, Dad, she's run out of goldfish. And you bring them. <laughs> you got to fill up the stash. Can I tell you something? It was Thanksgiving Day. I, I don't carry goldfish in my pockets. If I did, she, they'd have been hers. You know, that's how that works. But I want to tell you this much. It might have been Black Friday. And I told you, I, I don't like Black Friday. But I want to tell you, before our day was over, we had goldfish. And I want to tell you, before our day was over, they went home to Emma's house. But here's my point. You can't give away something you don't have. I can't give her goldfish unless I go get them. Jesus said to his disciples the night before he was crucified, my peace I leave to you, my peace I give to you. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You don't have it. That's why you need it. And the only reason you're going to have it is because I'm the only place to get it. My peace. I leave to you. And that peace, that peace 
that Jesus left with his disciples, he longs to leave with us. I kind of mentioned this in my prayer this morning, but I'm going to go ahead and read it to you. I think it's important and we have time. Are you okay with that? In book of Luke chapter 4. Book of Luke chapter 4. Listen to this, it's beautiful. On that day when the evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. They were fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Let's go to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him with them in a boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was filling, and he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? If I ever told you, I'll, I'll tell a mommy story for a minute. If I ever told you about the Delta Queen and the Ohio River, does that sound familiar to you, the Delta Queen and the Ohio River? You know I spent my life on the Ohio River. My mother's at football practice with my brother. Sound familiar yet? Oh boy, I get to stay another week. I got a story you haven't heard. My mom's at football practice. It's above the old Patterson Field. It's up here on the hill. You come down the hill and you hit a plane and there's the Ohio River. And my mother is up there watching my brother practice. And my mother could look out by turning around and see the Ohio River. And there we were in a 22-foot Glastron uh, V6 Chevy engine boat, you know, with the lower unit, the Mercruiser Marine, the whole nine yards. Beautiful boat. Big boat was never meant for what we were about to do. Because the Delta Queen was coming down the river. You know what the Delta Queen is? That stern wheeler, you know, got the big riverboat wheel going. When that riverboat comes down the river, I want to tell you what, it's not like a prop in the water. That wheel, man, those waves, they're higher than the ceiling in this room. The waves, and they go on for, you know, a quarter of a mile. Up and down and up and down and up and down. And as my mother is standing up on top of the Patterson Field, Looking at my brother practice, she turns around to see me and my other brother and my friend Ed and kid from the neighborhood. We're on that 22-foot-long glass-tron, and we are just about this close from the corner of the Delta Queen as we bug in behind that wheel to get into those waves. And we'd hit the gas, and then let off it. And that 22-foot-long glass-tron boat would go, that first hit, boat was swamped. <laughs> I mean, to tell you, it says Jesus was asleep on a pillow. We had pillow life jackets. They were floating everywhere. And we would go up and down and up and down and up and down. And my mother said, look at that idiot in that boat. They're going to get killed. Another guy turned around and said, Gene... That's your boys. Disciples are on the boat. The storm comes in. They came down and they said, Jesus, don't you care? We're perishing. He awoke. He rebuked the wind. He said to the sea, listen to this. He said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And they were so afraid. He said, are you still afraid? You have no faith? 
And they were filled with great fear, and they said to each other, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And what I want you to see, if you don't see anything else this morning, when Jesus said, Peace be still, we thought, and those disciples thought, that he was talking to that storm. He was talking to the storm. Don't you care that we're going to die out here? Jesus says, peace. Be still. And the key, friends, is that you can't give what you don't have. You might want that fancy new gadget, but to get it, you got to pay the price. You might want that $3 million home, but to get it, you got to pay the price. And friends, if you don't have it, you can't give it to get it. And it's true with peace, because we will try everything under the sun to find peace, but never have it. But Jesus comes along and has it. He's the only one who does. And he looks at us in the storm on the lake and he says, the storm in your heart, peace, be still. And he looks at us in the tornado that we see on the horizon, but he looks at the tornado in our heart and he says, peace, be still. And he looks at the situation where we think nothing at all can be done. And he says, just hold on, peace, be still. peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. You know where that's at? That's what we read in Philippians. Now listen to 6 and 7, which happened just before those passages. Listen. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What did Jesus say? The peace of God. Not the world's peace, the peace of God. And here's what I want you to see. If you haven't caught on yet this morning, here's what I want you to see. You're going to have problems. You're going to have storms, aren't we? There's no way to avoid that. There's no way, as long as we live in this sinful world, people will get sick, bills will come due, relationships will fracture. It, it's a result of sin. It's going to happen. It, it, it's not going away. If you could get rid of everything that causes the storms in your life, you still would not have the peace that Christ can give. Because real peace Listen, here's the point. Real peace is not the absence of problems. Real peace is the presence of Jesus. Did you get that? Real peace is not found in the absence of problems. Could you stop that? Thank you. Real peace is not found in the absence of problems. Real peace is found in the presence of Jesus in our lives. So what should we be focusing on, church? The storm out there or the storm in here? 
And what should we be doing? Paul said, let your prayers and your requests be made known to God. Be anxious about nothing. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Stop. Stop for a minute. Stop for a minute. I, this really connects back to Isaiah 4. What were we to do? He'll keep in perfect peace who? Those whose minds are stayed on him. The peace of God, Paul says, will rule in your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, hear me. What gives you peace this Christmas is not that anything's going to leave you. What gives us peace is what's going to come to us. What we hopefully already have, but are anticipating in this season. And that is the presence of Jesus in our lives.